Let's bow our heads in prayer. Sweet Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, we thank You that You have sought us out and found us. Bless us this morning as we consider that, as we think about that, as we hear Your Word. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, He left Domino's Pizza with ten pizzas to be delivered to Washington University in St. Louis. A half hour later, he returned with ten smashed boxes, ruined pizzas, cheese and sauce all over him. What in the world happened? And this is, by the way, a true story. It's not about me. <laughs> when he got to the dorms at Wash U, he got out of his car with the first pizza. And the student who had been watching for him came up while he was going to the dorm, opened the door of the car, grabbed the other nine pizzas, and ran. It was a setup. And the pizza delivery man, seeing it, ran after the man with the nine pizzas. He tackled him out there in the middle of Wash U. Pizzas flying everywhere, sauce all over him. The student ran away, and that delivery boy, man, brought those ten boxes crushed and ruined back to Maplewood, Missouri to return them. Because if he didn't, the cost of the ten pizzas would have come out of his paycheck. In a very real sense, that's what's going on here in the parable, in real, in real life. See, the shepherds were responsible for each sheep in the flock. And if one went missing, unless they could prove it was killed by a predator, According to the Old Testament, they had to pay the cost of the missing sheep. And so now you understand why he leaves the 99, probably with other shepherds, and goes and searches for the one lost one. Now you understand why he rejoices over this silly, silly little sheep that he brings home with him. He didn't bring him home. It's money out of his pocket. And the owner of the flock is not going to think much of him. So it's not that he doesn't care for the 99. They're safe. The one sheep is in danger. And he searches for him and he finds him, showing himself to be a careful, meticulous shepherd. Now to understand why Jesus tells this parable, to understand... The, or find the, remember, the hidden truth, kingdom truth in this parable, we need to understand the context. In fact, this is the context for the, the three parables in, in Luke 15. Very first couple of verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
He tells the parable because the Pharisees and scribes were scandalized by the fact that Jesus would associate with such lowly sinners. Not only did He teach them, He ate with them. It was a scandal to them. They thought such sinners beneath them, such sinners should be shunned by Jesus. I suppose if you think about it, you can hear, you can hear the self-righteousness in their voice, in their accusation. You can, you can hear the, the envy, the resentment. Why is he paying attention to them and not to us? I mean, sure, they could see, they could see these tax collectors as lost sheep, but why even care about them? They're lost. Look at us. They didn't see themselves as lost sheep, as sinners needing to be found. And that's why Jesus tells the parable. See, that's what the refusal to confess and repent does. It blinds us, blinds you to the truth about you. So what about you and me? How hard is it to see ourselves as lost sheep? Now, I would suppose in one sense we all do. You all stood up this morning. You just sang it. You all stood up and confessed that we are by nature lost sheep. But you know, my experience is that it's real easy to stand up in general and say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've sinned in thought, word, and deed, but the things I've done and by the things I've left undone, as long as I don't have to talk about the things that I've done or the things that I've not done. Talking about specifics, admitting I've been unfaithful, I've cheated, I've lied, I I have a problem. That's a whole different ball of wax. Think about it. Anybody who's struggled with alcoholism, and tell you the hardest part is admitting it. Admitting it to yourself, admitting it to others. See, shame is really powerful. You, you, we know, you all know the first example of shame. It was Adam and Eve in the garden. They heard God, they had sinned, and they went and hid. That's shame. Shame loves darkness rather than the light because our deeds are evil. That's what Jesus says. Shame worries. If people know the truth about me, they won't love me. They won't like me. They won't want anything to do with me. I don't like me. Why would they? Those are the things we say to ourselves. Let me read to you what one man wrote about how his anger blinded him to his own sin. I carried anger and resentment inside me for most of my life. Anger at my parents. Anger at my peers who abused me as a child. Anger at my bosses who saw the future of their organization differently than I did. Anger at my wife. Anger at her depression. And that anger consumed me, gave me permission to be self-righteous, gave me permission to do the things that I was doing because it was their fault. It's excuse. Who could expect me to be different? See, he didn't see himself as a lost sheep. He made comparisons. They were the lost ones. 
not Him. Scriptures are very clear about the dangers of self-righteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's why Jesus tells the parable. Jesus wants us to see ourselves as we really are. He wants us to recognize that we, just like the kids said, that we are the lost sheep. Why? Because Jesus wants us to know the joy of a repentant, forgiven heart. That's the joy described in our parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he's found it? I want you to listen to another part of Ezekiel. My fault, by the way. I wrote in the wrong, uh, typed in the wrong uh, scripture citation for the Old Testament reading. So you get the, you get them both today. From Ezekiel. Listen to the promise that God makes. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pastures. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. What a shepherd we have. That's His promise to you. That's your joy. That knowing everything there is to know about you and me, still, He seeks us out. Still, He claims us as His own. Still, He wants us. You know what happens when sheep get lost? They'll wander through all sorts of crud and mud and thorns and thistles, and eventually they just lie down. Give up. When the shepherd finds them, they're not all clean and white anymore. They're dirty, they're smelly, they're bruised and scarred. Folks, that's what you and I are when Jesus finds us. Bested by the world. Scarred by our own sin-inflicted wounds. Wounded by the enemy himself. You know what your shepherd does when he finds you in such a state? Jesus says when he is founded, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. That's what your shepherd does. He carried the whole 
burden of the world, carried it on His own shoulder, carried the burden of your sin and mine, carried it to a cross, suffered and died, bore it up triumphant on the third day when He rose again and He did it all, rejoicing. Look at Jesus, we're told in Hebrews. Founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, the joy of your salvation and mine, For the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. His joy in carrying you is at the heart of your joy. No need to hide in shame anymore. No need to lie to yourself or to anyone. You can leave all that behind. He's carried you. You know where He carried you? Home. And when He comes home, the text says, He calls together His friends and His neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with Me, for I have found My sheep that was found. You know, that's the the hardest part of our self-righteousness. The hardest part of when we're living in a lie and we're hiding the truth and and going into the bushes because we don't want to be seen. The hardest part is we cut ourselves off. The hardest part is the isolation and the loneliness. Because you're lying, you can't talk to anyone. Because you're lying, you can't trust anyone. You're afraid to let anyone know about you. God or anyone. Not anymore. Yours is the joy that you are no longer alone. Yours is the joy that He has made you a part of His family. This family. You know that none of the people around you are perfect, right? You know that every single one of us, while we may struggle with different things, we all struggle. And here is the one place where you should find people that don't judge you but love you. Because you're just like them. A sinner. In need of a friend. But here you're, you're not alone in your struggle. That's what Linda and I found when she got sick about a month ago, two months ago. You made sure we weren't alone. Some of you came and sat with her. Some of you made meals. Some of you sent cards. All of you prayed. That's what you find here. And if you're struggling with something, there are people here who will understand. And if something is weighing on your heart, there are people you can confess to. Lay ministers, deaconesses, pastors, friends you trust, who will never betray your confidence who will not judge you, but whose only desire is to tell you God already knows and He forgives you. He loves you. That's your Savior's gift. A community that rejoices that you're here. A community that rejoices not only here, but in heaven above. 
For there is and will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Imagine that. Joy. Joy in your Savior's heart. Joy in God's heart. Joy in heaven over you. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.